The fetus behaves in a much more complex way than previously imagined. During her odyssey in the womb, she will smile, recognize her mother's voice, and maybe even dream. This is a quote from the National Geographic. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. My name's Peter, host of the show, and with me once again is my favorite co-host and my only co-host, Cameron Cote. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, Peter. Good to be back on again. I was out door knocking last night with a, a team of new volunteers, and, and as much as I love going out with experienced volunteers, it's always a special joy going out with people who are just brand new to doing pro-life outreach and hearing them use all these conversation skills that we talk about is great. Going out with four new volunteers, and then after that, later on in the evening, we, uh, my colleague Quan and I, we trained another new volunteer down in Lethbridge, and so a lot of new stuff happening. Um, very, very good to have. Um, how are you doing? That's that's beautiful and really good to hear. I'm doing really well. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in for perhaps the first time, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children in Canada, as Cam's story uh, will highlight, constantly being out on the streets um, whenever he can. And this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. And that's actually... Uh, so we we do a number of things on this podcast, conversations with experts on various topics uh, around the abortion discussion. But today we're really going to focus in on one of the main arguments uh, or one main argument that we hear on the streets to justify abortion. Before I get there, I just want to uh, bring your attention to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash guys. If you financially partner with us, you will ensure that we can continue bringing this content to the world and equipping others to effectively and winsomely have conversations about the topic of abortion. All right, the, the, the topic we're gonna touch on today is personhood. Now, if you've listened to us for any length of time, you've, you've heard us talk about the human rights argument, one of the main arguments that we use on the streets to highlight the humanity of the preborn children and the inhumanity of abortion. And one of the things we say at times, once we're, we, we've gone through the human rights argument, is that some people respond by saying, okay, so I might agree with you that, you know, they're human, but they're not persons. Um, they might be human beings, but there's no real moral relevance to them um, because they are not yet persons. So, and, and for them, there's a significant difference between someone who is a human being and a person and someone who is a human being and who is not a person. The former ought to be recognized as a person under the law and protected 
from from losing their lives. The latter should not. Now, this is what we're going to talk about: how to respond to this sort of justification. And before I get in there, I, I just want to mention one thing: people often define personhood um, as based upon someone's current abilities or functions as a human being. And I say current because we're not talking about someone's inherent ability or inherent function as a human being, but their current function based upon the age that they, their age right now and, and their stage in life. And the, the, the real thing is at the end of the day is because preborn human beings do not currently possess uh, a number of what these um, pro-abortion folks would say are key abilities or significant abilities, uh, therefore they are not persons. All right, Cam. So let's let's dive into this. I, I think it's fair to say that there are two main ways to talk about personhood. To, um, you know, to respond to this in conversation. One of the ways our listeners might be quite familiar with, uh, because it's one that uh, Scott Klusendorf talks about a lot. Uh, he might have coined the term SLED, uh, the acronym SLED, where you know uh, it stands for size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. So, Cam. I'd like to to touch on this one first, and then we'll get to the other one. This this the way that this one works in conversation. It takes a little bit longer than the second one we're going to do. But could you walk us through how we can use the acronym of SLED in conversations when someone says something along the lines of, "Okay, they're human, but they're not persons. Therefore, we should be allowed to end their life." Hundred percent. And so I think that this idea of size level of development, environment, and degree of dependency, like you said, this SLED acronym is useful regardless of whether we use it in our language or whether it's just a concept in our minds. And what what it does is that it identifies a lot of the differences between born and pre-born children, right? Rarely is somebody going to say to you, they're not a human because of their size, but they may very well say to you, they're not a person because they're just a clump of cells or they're the size of a period on a page. How can you give them human rights? They might not say they're not persons because they're not at the right level of development, but they might very well say they're not persons because they don't have rational thought or they don't have a heartbeat or they're not breathing. Um, they might say they might not say they're not persons because of their environment, but they might say they're literally living inside of another human being um, and their environment is so different. Or they might say they're not persons because they're completely dependent on those around them. I was talking to somebody last night while doing door knocking who, though this doesn't happen very often, she really focused in on that first letter S, the, the size component of SLED. And, and she was just really, really fixated on, but they're so small, you can't even see them. How can you give equal rights to this tiny, tiny entity that doesn't even look like you and me? How can you give equal rights to that and a mother who's going through all sorts of heinous, um, terrible things in her life? And so the first way that you mentioned that, that is a little bit longer is actually using a, a process that we've talked about on the show um, several times already, and that's using common ground analogy and question. What do I mean by this? Well, first of all, please don't debate whether or not these differences exist. Please don't debate whether or not we're smaller before we're born than we are after we're born. Um, because if we were born at full size, our mothers would never have more than one child. Um, and they would probably hate us for our entire lives, right? Like we're, we're not fully developed. We're not completely independent from the moment of fertilization. 
these differences exist. The question we have to ask is, are they relevant? So practically speaking, when this woman was talking to me about the size of the preborn child, I could agree with her and say, you know what, you and I agree that the preborn child is so much smaller and looks nothing like you and I. Common ground. I could make an analogy by trotting out a toddler or an infant or any other born human and say, imagine there is a born human who, because of some genetic abnormality or something like that, did not have arms or legs. Would we ever say that we could kill that human because they don't look like you or I or because they're, they're dissimilar from you and I? Well, no, obviously not. Okay. Well, if we can't kill born humans because they don't look like you or I, or because they're smaller than you and I, why is it okay to kill preborn humans because they're smaller than you and I? I, I kind of um, diverted into that, it didn't look like us, but if you could also use the example of imagine that somebody who was larger wanted to kill somebody who was smaller. I, Peter, I think that I'm maybe an inch or two taller than you are. Um, you are at least two degrees uh, more handsome than I am, but I'm, I'm a, probably an inch or two taller than you. It'd be ridiculous to say that I have more human rights or especially that I have the right to kill you because I'm larger than you. And so we can do that right. um, common ground analogy question. Similarly, I had another conversation last night that focused on um, having a rational mind, being conscious even. This is something that Peter Singer talks about. We touched on this in an earlier episode in his debate with Stephanie Gray Connors. And similarly, you could walk through those three steps of common ground, analogy, and question by saying, yeah, you and I agreed that a, a two-day-old human embryo does not have a rational brain. Imagine that a born child, because of how small they are, did not have a fully developed brain like you and I. Would it be okay for us to kill a born child because their brain is less developed than you or I are right now. And if we can't kill born humans because they're less developed than you and I, why is it okay to kill a preborn child because of how um, early they are in their development? Does that sound fair, Peter? That does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even just one clarification as well. Sometimes it's not really a full personhood, no personhood thing. Sometimes it's like a, a two-thirds personhood. So, so even with the analogy of um, you know, you're two, two inches taller, so you're probably six, three or so I'm six, one, um, that, that wouldn't necessarily mean to most people that you should be allowed to kill me. It just would be to be consistent with the analogy that you are more of a person than mm -hmm. I am. Um, right. So using, using, you know, size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency, the more of those you have would be the more of a person you are, but that's really helpful, Cam, you know, to, to understand sled, and then to know how to frame that within a conversation using the tools that we have talked about time and again, common ground analogy question. Yeah. And, and just like all of the hard circumstances that mothers might be faced with and how we try to find analogies and similar circumstances involving born people, the same thing goes for all of these, circum, uh, these differences as well. What we're trying to do is we're trying to find a born human who does not have that current capacity, like you said. Um, I, I remember right. when I first got involved in, in CCPR, we talked a lot about a, a young woman named Gabby Jingrass, who has a very, very rare condition in which she's not able to feel pain. 
She was a young woman now, but when she was a child, her parents literally um, had to have her wear goggles because she would poke her eyes um, until they bled or were infected because she could not feel the pain of that. She would rest her hand on hot elements or, or stick her hand into an exciting looking fire and not be able to feel the pain that should go along with that. And so when people say that a preborn child couldn't even feel pain, we'd make that analogy and say, well, think of those who are born who aren't able to feel pain. Is it okay to kill a born human being like Gabby Gingrass, who isn't able to feel pain? Um, and if we're not willing to kill born humans who can't feel pain, why preborn humans? And so it, it's a, an exercise in trying to identify similar circumstances um, between born and preborn children. So that that's ultimately what we're doing. And, and there's countless examples that you can find on any of those factors, whether it's the size, well, whether it's level of development, maybe I'll, I'll just briefly touch on. So environment, I mean, you can literally go anywhere in the entire universe. Um, you can be in outer space, you can be in any, any sovereign nation, you can be in any unrecognized nation um, and still get human rights. What is it about the journey down the birth canal? That kind of thing. And for, for um, dependency, you can make the analogy of imagine somebody who's in a hospital who's connected to a ventilator unit or, or a, um, a pacemaker or something. They're completely dependent on something external to sustain their life. Would it ever be okay to kill a born person who is dependent on something external um, for their livelihood? And if not killing a born child, why a preborn child? That kind of thing. That, that's what we're going for. But that, that's the long route, right? Peter? There's, there's a shorter way. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's that's the long route. We have a, another route, as I mentioned. Um, but we, we thought it's important to talk about that because we do want to highlight again and again. Um, we want to ingrain it into our minds and into our conversations. We want to uh, have you to do that as well. Just the creating common ground, using analogies, and asking these key questions. But yeah, so Cam, there's a kind of a, a fast-tracked way that we could have this conversation as well. And what we often talk about here at CCBR, which is the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, the organization we both work for, is the, the formula as it were of human plus X. Could you, could you elaborate on human plus X and what it has to do with the personhood conversation? Yeah, and so to backtrack a little bit, so we, we get these differences that exist. And the way that we would do this, this notion of human plus X is arguably what they're communicating to us. They're saying that it's not good enough to just be a living member of the human species. You have to be more than just human. Human plus an extra attribute. And um, I, I don't think that anyone would have needed to do university mathematics to have that, that placeholder of X as that variable that has to be added on. So this human plus something else. And this plays out today, but it also plays out throughout history. And, and so when these differences are, are brought up to us, and, and what I actually did with this woman who, um, as I mentioned earlier, was, was talking about the size of this child, what I did instead of finding common ground, making an analogy and asking a question, is that I went straight for a different question that got her thinking a little bit more. I, I just asked her, why? Why is that embryo smaller than you and I? It's a bit of a bit of an odd question. You don't really know what you're getting at then. But I asked why, and she thought about it, and she said, "Well, it's because they're they're younger. Like they're they're just so small. They're just so young." And that was what the X factor is right now. 
right? Whether it's size, whether it's level of development, whether it's environment, or whether it's degree of dependency, we can ask why. Why does that difference exist? The, the guy that I talked to two doors down who was talking about the rational mind and, and consciousness, I asked him, why doesn't a young human being have that ability? And again, he identified, well, it's because of how old they are. They, they haven't had enough time to develop that. And so in contemporary society, we are saying that you have a human plus a particular age. You have to be old enough to exhibit whatever ability you think is quintessential to the human species. First of all, that's really bad biology because we'd never say that you're not a dog until a dog starts barking or you're not a bird until you right. start flying or anything like that. I mean, that's terrible biology, but we do it. And, and so I asked this question, why? And so I say, well, wouldn't that make abortion age-based discrimination? Wouldn't that be saying that you have to simply reach a threshold of age to qualify for human rights? Isn't that discriminating human rights based on our age? And both of these people initially just nodded along of like, yeah, I, I think that's fair to discriminate human rights based on age, if that's what you want to call it. But then what I did was I showed how this isn't something new. This is simply the latest rendition of discrimination in contemporary society, right? That we're discriminating based on age right now, but 50 years ago, we used to discriminate based on our skin color. Before that, we used to discriminate based on our gender. At times in, in society, we've discriminated based on ethnicity and religion and sexual identity and all sorts of things. I mean, uh, the, the Viet Cong discriminated against people because of their educational level. They literally killed people who wore glasses because they thought they were elitist. We have discriminated on countless different factors throughout history. How is discriminating based on age any different? And when I presented that to them, it, it really resonated. I was like, oh, yeah, we, this is just the same thing. This is just picking a different X value. X used to be skin color. Human plus a particular skin color meant that you got human rights. At other times, human plus a particular gender. You had to be a man to get human rights. You had to be a property owner to get human rights. You had to be all of these different X factors. Right now, we're discriminating on age. Um. And, and there's lots of examples that spring to my mind on how, how this has played out. Um, Peter, I, I'm sure that you have a, a few stories of, of kind of walking through this human plus X notion with people, whether really explicitly or whether a little bit more implicitly and just helping them understand that saying that somebody is only valuable if they're not only a human, but a human plus rational, a, a rational human being or human plus having a heartbeat or human plus being able to breathe or, or live independently, simply by asking that question, why can be a phenomenal step. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is really helpful. And I think, I know when I first heard this, it was extremely helpful. And I know for, for others, it's going to be helpful as well in conversations, having the, you know, the formula human plus X, human plus age, human plus uh, ability to breathe or human plus heartbeat uh, or you name it, whatever it might be. It's really, that was a really, really helpful way to describe that, sir. Mm -hmm. One one other thing that springs to mind. And so at, at times people can, the, the first woman, the second person I talked to, this made complete sense. By God's grace, he became completely pro-life by the end of the conversation right after that. But the first woman I talked to, it took a little bit more time because she said, how dare you? liken abortion to these other historic um, atrocities. And, 
and I, we get this response from a lot of people, right? We get this response from a lot of people who think that it's um, kind of undermining the dignity of the victims of the Holocaust. It undermines the dignity of the victims of the genocide in Rwanda. It undermines the dignity of those who fought for civil rights and all that kind of thing. And I often think of an interview that was conducted between a survivor of the Rwandan genocide um, and and an interview. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the program before, but this survivor of the Rwandan genocide, for those of you who don't know about the Rwandan genocide, it was a, a, a 95 or so day killing spree in which the, the Hutu people um, killed over or around a million Tutsi and Tutsi sympathizers in the, the um, country of Rwanda, the unbelievable bloodshed. Um, there's some very profound movies that you can watch. Um, whether it's um, Hotel Rwanda with Don Cheadle, whether it's Genocide Worse Than War, there's lots of examples, but I, I digress. You, you can also read um, Left to Tell by Immaculate Ilobagiza, a wonderful book to recommend there. So any, anyway, sorry, I digress. This survivor of the Rwandan genocide was asked, do you think the Rwandan genocide is the worst injustice in history? And she responded almost immediately by saying, no, abortion is the worst injustice in all of history. And this obviously struck the journalist as being surprising at the very least, if not offensive. And yet the survivor carried on and explained, when my family was being persecuted, we could run, we could hide, we could fight back. A preborn child can do none of those. A preborn child can't fight back against the abortionist. The preborn child can't hide from the abortionist. The preborn child can't call for help from the abortionist. And so in some ways, we have found the weakest and most vulnerable member of the human family. And when I, when I kind of shared that with this woman, it, the light went on and she said, oh my goodness, you're right. This is terrible. This is terrible that we have found the most convenient victim in society, the, the victim who doesn't push back, the victim who doesn't cry too loudly, the victim that can be hidden um, from all eyes. That's what I think is valuable with that human plus X argument. By asking why does that difference exist, you're able to identify well it exists because of how old they are, by showing we're discriminating human rights based on our age, that helps them understand that, that yes, that's the factor that we're talking about by explaining how this is simply the last in a long line of, of factors that we've discriminated on, that again gives further context to the, um, the gravity and depravity, I would say, of this injustice. And lastly, by articulating just how weak and vulnerable, just how defenseless these preborn children are, we can really um, draw people to that conclusion that this is not something that we can ever support and personhood has to be synonymous with being a member of the human family. Human rights must be for all human beings and human rights must begin when the human's life begins. That, that's huge, sir. And I think that's, good, that's a good place to wrap this up. Um, you know, what we've noted is there, there's a huge and a singular group of, of living human beings who currently have no protection under the law and are killed en masse every single day in the country we live in in Canada and in countries around the world. And people are justifying abortion based upon this very idea of personhood because they don't have a current ability, because they don't have current function to do any particular 
you know, thing that they have in mind, whatever it might be. Therefore, abortion is justified. And, and as Kim, as you, sir, articulated so clearly now, uh, it just highlights the important for the importance for us to get active, the importance for us to defend and protect these preborn children in every way that we can, uh, to speak out uh, against the injustice, to and to speak out in, in winsome and effective ways. I mean, uh, we've talked about this many times, sir. You and I. There's, you know, there's good ways to talk about abortion, and there are really bad ways to do it as well. And one of the things we want to do is share with you some of the really good ways so that you can see people change their minds and you can see lives saved from abortion. So get active, Cam. Uh, I know you have uh, a one thing that I, I think you'd like to talk about. It's it's a way to get active on social media. I know some people are in lockdowns right now, but there's still an opportunity to get involved. Can, could you uh, briefly touch on that? Yeah, for sure. As much as we can never fully replace the value of a face-to-face -face interaction, obviously right now with, with ongoing lockdowns and whatnot, that's not possible for a lot of people. I want to invite you to consider joining our online action team. I know that I've been slow in getting this up, but we finally have five people who are doing our online action team already. We're, we're open to more applications. If you want to help um, effectively engage people in online conversations, join our team. Uh, we'll, we'll include the application form in the show notes here. Um, check that out. And, and yeah, you'll get some, some core training on how to translate these kind of longer form spoken conversations into more direct, but still very compassionate um, online encounters. And hopefully we can grow as, as a pro-life movement in our ability to more effectively, more compassionately um, engage those who are interacting online. So, so check that out. And, and that's the only one for me, Peter. Perfect. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in once again. Go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash guys. There's an opportunity to receive some pretty cool merch. We're actually working on more merch right now, which is exciting. Uh, but we don't have a date on when that's coming out, so I'm not going to make any promises at this point. Um, but we have some merch that you'll be able to get. If you become a financial partner of the Pro-Life Guys, we have some amazing producers working behind the scenes, getting this content ready for your favorite podcast catcher or for YouTube. Um, and, and your support would help us continue the program and continue bringing the best content that we can. So check that out. Check out some of our other series as well, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, where we highlight some of the unsung heroes who are on the streets on a regular basis, defending and protecting preborn children. We hear their stories. We hear how they got involved and their um, their inspiration and motivation for continuing on uh, amidst the difficulty of fighting abortion. We also have The Pulse, which is where we talk about important and interesting abortion-related news from a pro-life perspective uh, from around the world. We want to deliver abortion-related news, not just from a pro-abortion perspective, which is what you're going to get from the mainstream media, but we want to deliver it from a pro-life perspective so that we know how to think properly about some of these things. Thank you again for tuning in. My name is Peter. That's Cam. We are the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Share it with your friends. Subscribe on your podcast catcher or on YouTube, wherever it might be. Reach out to us if you have any questions on different topics you want us to cover or perhaps just further clarifying questions that you might have prolifeguys.com or find the Prolife Guys podcast wherever you do your social media. Thank you again. God bless you all. Get active and continue the work in fighting abortion and protecting and defending preborn children. 